Welcome to the Sideline Podcast. Today is Tuesday, March 30th, and Scott Dolson has made his decision. On Monday, Mike Woodson was officially introduced as the 30th head coach in school history. Doug, let's start with you. Let's get some thoughts. I'm happy. I am happy. Once we realized that the Brad Stevens or the Eric Musselman or the Chris Beards were not coming, I think Mike Woodson is the best option that Scott Dolson could have went with. He has NBA experience. He's an IU guy. He's an offensive-minded head coach. And, which I don't think it will matter as much at Indiana as other places, when he was a head coach in the NBA, he's dealt with all ranges of personality. So I think, like I said, Indiana doesn't really have that as much, but in down the line, that might matter. So I think he's very mature. He has the resume. He has the personality. I'm happy about it. Yeah, I think, and let me preface this by saying, I don't think anybody, except for maybe you, Justin, is more in on this head coaching decision <laughs> than I am. But I will say it was a whirlwind of emotions because I, I, I think maybe in, in the first, like, five, ten minutes, 15 minutes of, of the announcement, it was kind of like, oh, we went with Mike Woodson. Like, it was kind of shocking because, you know, the names being thrown around, realistic or unrealistic, were Brad Stevens, Scott Drew, Chris Beard, um, you know, potentially Porter Moser, um, names like that. And so when the Woodson hire was announced, it was kind of like, oh, it's none of the people we really talked about. And then you start kind of piecing this all together, and it's like, all right, Thad Mon is coming along too. And then you start hearing about the connection Woodson has um, with IU. And I don't know if that was made a big enough deal in the coaching search, at least to the public. Um, you, you can kind of tell Dolson and, and IU t- took it very seriously. But um, you, you start hearing the connection that Woodson has with this place, how it was his dream job, how he loved to come back. Um, he starts his press conference off by thanking Bobby Knight and kind of like saying he wants to bridge the past and the future of Indiana basketball. And it's just like there's this warmness and inclusion and just like – excitement around the program that even like I mean I can't remember Archie's presser so I, I can't really say this but I just like you come out of the presser and you're just like you want to run through a wall for Mike Woodson I think I while it wasn't like quote unquote a home run higher I think the farther and farther we get away from the initial shock of it not being one of these giant names like the the, the better and better this is like I, I really think Scott Dolson nailed this higher okay so you were right I am the most in person on this in the world <laughs> But if we're in the trust tree, the first 15 minutes after we hired him, I was cursing Scott Dolson's name. I was pissed. Uh, I mean, you, you all know this. That listen, Mike Mike Woodson was the coach of the Hawks for eight years, and the Hawks were like the worst team in basketball after uh, Dominique Wilkins retired until Mike Woodson came. So that was like a six or seven year period, and then Woodson won a few Eastern uh, or what are we the South Division in the Eastern Conference. Uh, with you know Dwight Howard was on the Magic team, so he did good, good, good job in the Hawks, but he never had the locker room. Um, the thing that he's done so well since leaving the Hawks is be good in the locker room. Uh, when he was head coach of the Knicks, the, his players loved him, and then when he was assistant coach with the Clippers, and then back with the Knicks, his players loved him. So that got me excited. What really drew me back in was Thad Matta. I have been a huge fan of his for a long time. He had. 10 amazing years at Ohio State. I think it was actually like 14. Um, He was the head coach at Butler. He played at Butler. He was fantastic. He's from Hoopston, Illinois, which I don't know where that is. But it's close (laughs) enough to Indiana. He coached at Butler. He played at Butler. He's an Indiana guy. Scott Dolson said he and Thad were both big fans of the 76 IU team, which 
I imagine if you're growing up around that time, everyone else was too. I think him being sort of the the czar, the president, the director of basketball ops, if you will, I think that's an excellent spot for him to help Mike Woodson put together the staff, help recruiting if he can. Uh, and like you said, Mike Woodson at first completely underwhelmed, and then I thought more and more about it. It makes sense. You bridge the gap to the Bobby Knight era. He's got the NBA component. He's super well-versed uh, in player development. And you can say to recruits, I worked in the NBA for X amount of years. I know what it takes to get to the league. I think a lot of guys are going to appreciate that kind of experience. Not even that he knows what it takes to get to the league. He knows what it's like to win a title. Not, I mean, not as a head coach, but as an assistant coach, he's won NBA titles. So you come into the room with that. You walk into a high school kid's room with those credentials backed by the IU brand. And you you kind of you can see the direction and the strategy that that the school and and Dolson have taken with this hire and and like like I just like I just said, like the the further away we get from the initial shock of it, you know the, the like the the better and better it looks. I also want to say that he's very self aware, and he talked about it in the press conference saying, "Yeah, I played in the NBA. Or I think he played in the NBA. I played you did. in college. eleven yeah. years, I think. Twelve yeah. years. Uh, people might not know that though. These young guys, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds." probably won't know that my kids remind me of that all the time that's okay I can tell them about what I did after that and why I'm still around the sport of basketball and have been because like we've been saying it's being a part of basketball for like he's an NBA head coach for what nine years and then an assistant coach for 15 I would say he's been around the game for so long and the recruits a good part I want to bring back that motto though I think it's a great hire there's no doubt about that I am a little bit worrisome that it might just be which which would help for sure a two-year thing just to get Mike Wisson into it and if Thad Mata's back into basketball he gets healthy I'm not sure he's staying at Indiana if there's not a head coach position for him yeah maybe not but like in the in the short term in terms of yeah program building and learning how to build a program I don't know if you could have I mean like you can handpick better guys that are still coaching and still in the sport but if if like I mean, it's 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 Mata, who's I think ten years younger than John Beeline, but He's those 53, are fifty three. Yeah, it's just wild to think. Find about. me oh a mind God. that's better or equal to Thad Mata's that's available. That also understands the region and the area. And like I was listening to Titus and Tate, um, uh, I think last night or this morning, or whatever. And Mark Titus said that as soon as Thad uh, lost the Ohio State job, he, he packed up his things and moved across the state lines to, to Indiana. Um, so he's an Indiana guy, and uh, it seems like he wants to be here. So I'm just hoping he stays here, not just is here for one, maybe a year and a half. I'm so I, I'm, to stay here. he has health issues, and I th- I don't want to speculate on it, but I know it's something to do with his foot, and I know uh, I think someone was up with his vitals or something, which is why he. Uh, part of the reason why he had to leave Ohio State. It's just the stresses of coaching were too much for him. And if the stresses of coaching were too much for him four years ago, I don't think they've gotten any better as he's turned the corner into his 50s. So I think this is sort of the perfect job for Thad Matta because he is his, his official position is Associate Athletic Director for Indiana and the men's basketball team. So he is in charge of the men's basketball team as a athletic director standpoint, I guess. Um I think this is perfect. He can run a basketball program sort of like he's a a general manager of a pro team, except in college. I love this. I love that he's going to be working hand-in-hand with Scott Dolson and and, uh, Mike Woodson. I am – our next step, I guess, uh, Al transferred to Providence today, which we'll talk about, but I don't think anyone's expecting him to come back. 
the five other guys that are in the transfer portal become the immediate uh, necessity for Mike Woodson to get on, as well as hiring three assistant coaches. And there's been a lot of speculation on that, starting with Larry Brown. And, uh, you know, the only concern I have about Larry Brown is that he's 80 years old. His qualifications, you know, they write himself. He's a national champion at Kansas. He won an NBA championship with the Pistons. Uh, I think it would be a home run assistant higher for IU. I, I compared it yesterday to Phil Martelli uh, with uh, Michigan, who was the head coach of St. Uh, Joe's for forever, and then Juwan brought him in when Juwan got the head job at Michigan. So, I don't know. I, 80 years old may scare some people away, but I think a wealth of basketball knowledge is, is valuable no matter how old a person is. Sure, but at the same time, like I, I'm, you guys are very, very optimistic, and I love being optimistic, but Take a step back from fandom real quick. He's 80 years old. There's other probably don't, not. I mean, don't lump me in with the liar. Yeah, nah. I'll, I'll Larry, take I'm this alone. I'm not as optimistic as, as, as Justin is about uh, the prospects of having 80-year-old no, Larry Brown there's no trying to connect with these kids. There's no doubt his mind is great knowing the game. But maybe it was great 10 years ago. Now he's been out of it for four years. Really hasn't been a part of basketball. I mean, sure, he was a head coach four years ago, but – he hasn't had success in a little bit. I'm not as excited about that. Sure, it's a great name thing, but I would rather have, let's say, an up-and-coming a guy, a assistant coach that already has a name for himself but is younger and is easier relatable to the players. Yeah, but I think you have those two other spots. Though, that, I mean, we all think one of them is going to be to Cheney or Fife. Yeah, I hope it's Calvert Cheney. Think, do you think the players want brought, uh Larry Larry Brown is their assistant. I, I don't know what the players want. I have no want. idea. I don't think. And, they and would. I think the one the one name you didn't mention that is also kind of important to to IU next season is is Trace. Yeah, you kind of yeah. skipped over him. I mean, yeah. Trace is yeah, he's probably. He's, I mean, that was if I if I was if I was Mike Woodson if I were Mike Woodson, and I I think sidebar again. My, I think my favorite part about Mike Woodson is that he repeatedly calls himself Mike, Mike Woodson. Woodson. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but um, if I were him, I, I Trace would have been my I, that was my that would be my first sit down. Well, I think I think we had this conversation yesterday. You say to Trace, "Look, dude, you might get drafted in the late second round. You're not you're flat out not good enough to play in the NBA right now. Come back to IU for one more year and I'll teach you some things." I think that's his his, you know, don't be so rude about it like I was, but that's got to be your pitch point for him. Trace Trace has a lot of talent. He does not have enough talent to be a starter in the NBA right now, which I'm sure is his goal. Or even a role player in the NBA. That's all he would get right now as a role player yeah. if that. So I think yes, I agree with you. I guess if you if you do take a step back, Trace is probably the person you sit down first with. But Trace is one player. There are five players in the transfer portal, and if you lose all those guys, you're going to be starting dudes you've never heard of. I'm trying to think who are some big guys that Mike Woodson has developed. I'm thinking Al Horford was one. Al Horford, Joe Johnson. I mean, but, all I know is Hawks reference. Yeah, um, Millsap Smith. The Knicks didn't really probably have. He coached Carmelo. Uh, Josh Smith was Steve Novak, good enough for the Hawks. Steve Novak. <laughs> I mean, he got Marvin Williams when he was young. The Hawks. The Hawks were the Hawks. He, he said this yesterday in the press conference. But when he started with the Hawks in 04, right. they were the youngest team in the NBA, uh, and they went from I think they went from like 18 wins to 30 wins to 45 wins to 55 wins in a span of four or five seasons. Yeah, they increase so wins every year. It's it, He did an impressive thing in Atlanta. And like I said, they had not been good in years since Dominique left. So it's not like he's completely unfamiliar. He had the most successful Knicks season since the 90s. 
So I think he's capable of doing it. Like I said, the, it's going to fall on who he brings in, the three guys he brings in as assistant coaches, and who he can get back in terms of Trace and the transfer portal. Yeah, and not I think, that Trace is well, gone. Yeah, but. I think I think one of the encouraging things he said yesterday at the presser is that he was willing to look in the portal for guys that could help the team win. Yeah, um, there are even now, especially now, a ton of players in the transfer portal who can help a program like Indiana win now. And so to to, to see that that wasn't something they were going to overlook, even though yes, there is a lot of work to be done, was encouraging. And I think you brought up the optimistic point. I am probably overly optimistic because it's out of the box. We didn't just hire another Archie, some guy who's you know had a couple good seasons at a mid-major or who's been a hot name. Scott Dolson decided to rewrite the book on hiring a head coach in college basketball. You know, maybe following a little bit with the Jawan Howard footsteps, but that's completely different because Jawan has half the experience that Mike Woodson has. So I. I'm. I think this is the time to be overly optimistic. Yeah, I I agree. I would say that because of the attitude um, Coach Woodson's come in with, because of the way the the search was handled, um, it just it just seems like once and that Stevens must approach probably the first phone call. But once it wasn't Stevens, it seems like more and more that Woodson was the one Dolson wanted. And I, I, I just I, I like the family aspect and attitude that he's bringing to right. the team that we never really felt with Coach, Coach that, Archie Miller. So that's what I was going to bring up, too. They immediately, uh, Mike Woodson met Tom Allen, and they put a picture on Instagram, and that's great. I can't remember in his four years Archie Miller ever talking about another program at IU. And yesterday, Mike Woodson sent a good luck message to the women's basketball team who's playing in the Elite Eight, which we're going to get to in a few minutes, but... I just Good point. I, I can't remember, and it's something I, I am biased because I listen to Steve Aird all the time throughout his season. He's the volleyball coach. Talk about how important it being invested in the other programs on campus are because if you're here and you're coaching a team on this campus, what's the point of being here if you're not invested in, in what else is going on on campus? And I feel like with Mike Woodson at the helm, it gives them, it gives us a real chance to have a coach who's not just invested in men's basketball, but who's invested in Indiana University. So that gets me a little fired up. And to further your point, there's a lot of successful programs besides basketball. There's oh no, Indiana University Athletics is peaking right now. It's football, it's women's basketball, it's soccer, it's swimming and diving, it's baseball, it's and then basketball if it revives, and there's other sports that I didn't even mentioned. So I, I like that point a lot. The one thing that is we have not mentioned but I think should be mentioned is the transition from NBA coaches to college has not fared well. Sure. Juwan Howard has done a good job at Michigan, all power to him, but Jerry Stackhouse now at Vanderbilt, they're kind of a disaster. Patrick Ewing and Georgetown, they made that run, but they weren't really that good of a team. So I, and then um, there's one more that who am I missing? Avery Johnson, who was, was NBA to Alabama disaster. And then as soon as he goes, Alabama's a top team. Sure, give a credit to Nate Oates, but it was also Avery Johnson just couldn't get it done. I mean, I'll throw two names at you, and, and neither of these two guys had extensive NBA careers and prominently were college guys, so I guess that could dampen the argument a little bit. But uh, Rick Pitino and John Calipari both coached in the NBA and I would say are both pretty successful college coaches. But they've been around. Like if They, they started in the college game a lot younger than Mike Woodson did. He, yeah, Mike listen, Woodson, I'm, you know coached I'm, in college first. I'm not saying that's not a concern. I'm just saying, um, a- after 
after seeing the way, like I, I feel like the, the way to not the way, but one of the ways to get big time recruits is, is selling them on the the ability to play at the next level. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that Archie Miller didn't do very well was show that he could develop players. Correct. One thing Mike Woodson has shown that he can do well is, and at the NBA level, albeit, is develop players. So if he, if, it's easier to do if it that, there. if that part of it can translate. And he can develop players and make guys better with the NBA pedigree that he has, with the NBA connections that he has. Yeah. I think that's a, a powerful combination. And I'll end it like this. I'm optimistic still. I, huh. I am optimistic. That's I good. like the hire. Somebody's got to be devil's advocate. <laughs> exactly. I'm just trying to make some arguments because it's not a perfect hire, but no coaching hire right away is perfect. There was one perfect hire, and he is currently in Boston. That was it. There was no other perfect hire, I don't believe. Yeah, that's fair, actually. Mm-hmm. But, like, even – I'm sure if you really dug deep, you could have found – so there's always going to be some people that are going to be like, ah, I don't know if it's going to work. Uh, and then other people, well, it's, of course it's going to work. you got to be somewhere in between with coaching hires. You get, can't know – that's why Archie was fired. It's a results-oriented business. Yeah. You don't know until the results come. Can I get a final – can I get a, a final initial grade after, uh, I guess, how long has it been? Five days, four days, three we days? Got, we got – the news broke Two on days. Sunday. He was officially named the coach on Monday. So it's been, oh, so I guess, been three days. No, it's been a day. It's two days. Yeah, two days. All right, yeah. So two days, two days. What's your one? <laughs> Doug, yeah. initial, initial grade for the hire. I would give it B+. Plus. Uh, I I'll I was going to give it a B plus. I will say A minus because I am optimistic for all the reasons I said. We look, this isn't some schmo off the street, just another assistant coach or up and coming head coach. This is a legitimate change in how you hire a head coach, which is why I'll give it the extra the extra A, the extra boost. Yeah, it's funny. I I, I will say when it when it first came out, like initial reaction off the jump like we we had already said earlier, um, I probably would have given it a C C plus. Um, last night, falling asleep, I wanted to give it a B or a B plus. And this morning, when I woke up, I'm just creeping optimism, man. I'm creeping up there with you, Justin. So I give it an A minus, or yeah, an A minus. B plus plus, A minus minus. B plus plus, A minus minus. Yeah, somewhere in there. I, I yeah. think, I think it's a solid hire with the potential to be really, really good. But it also comes with its risks, which holds it from being a home run, essentially, or a grand slam. But like I said, the farther we get away from the initial shock of it, the more I really like what we're doing here. He's also a normal guy. Did you see that? Correct, yes. Uh, that was something. Um, I I will say this, then we'll talk about Al for a brief second. Um, I I think, and I think it was properly sold, but I think the Thad Matta piece is going to pay tremendous dividends for not just Mike Woodson, but for the entire men's basketball program. I, I think having that sort of... Uh, wealth of knowledge is just going to be incredible for IU. Also, Scott Dolson is aware that if he screws up this hire, it is on him, and that could cost him his job. So I think he he knew that coming in. So he hired the guy that he thought could do the best job and also save his job, not saying that he didn't know that, but that is in the cards as well. Uh, Al. Al is transferring to Providence to play for Ed Cooley. I think that's a great fit. So I, I like I said for the last month, I thought he was going to go to Georgia play with Tom Crean, but now that I saw him in a Providence uniform and uh, playing for Ed Cooley, I think that's a perfect fit too. Yeah, like I texted you guys earlier. It just kind of feels right. Like he, he's a real gritty guard. He's going to work hard. Um, uh, he's going to bring veteran leadership. You know that Providence team is usually built on you know guys who you aren't expecting. You know to be as good as they are to work as hard as they're working, and that team usually surprises people. So. 
I can't. I, I'm not going to say I saw him going to Providence, but seeing him, like you said, in the Providence uniform, it made sense to me. Uh, so, but uh, thank you, Aljamain Durham, because he was just—he was a pleasure to watch in Indiana. I know we've said our our thank yous to him on this podcast before, but he deserves to be thanked again. He worked his ass off when he was here. Um, he definitely got better, uh, and he's just a positive influence on the campus. So I, I just appreciate the work he did here and, and wish him well in his future endeavors. If you told me th- four years ago that an IU community would like a player so much with the team being so bad, I would tell you you're lying. Yeah. IU students, IU fans love Al. Positive guy, hard worker, like you said. And in the game against Providence when they played him in the Maui in Asheville, he had 19 points, three assists, uh, six rebounds, shot the ball well from deep, I think like 60%. Ed Cooley saw what he liked got on the phone and once he entered the portal and, and made a move. And, you know, I, I love Providence's program. I love Ed Cooley. I'm happy for everyone involved here. Congratulations, Al. Best of luck. Uh, women's basketball. It's tough ending to a – I mean, there's not enough adjectives to describe the season, but we'll say spectacular. Historic. Uh, historic, yeah. First round – First two rounds, clinics on defense, and Doug, I'll let you talk about the next two, but the VCU and Belmont games were stupid how good IU was on the defensive side of the ball. So with that, I will hand the baton to my uh, IDS beat reporter. 80 points in the first two games given up in the NCAA tournament, a Big Ten record, by the way, and this is their, I think, like sixth time going into the tournament. Uh, This team... Sure, you can talk. We'll talk about Arizona, or should we talk about the Arizona game first, or should we talk about the season first? Uh, let's talk about Zona, then we'll okay. go big picture. So, and it, NC State, we didn't talk about NC State. I mean, that they gutted that one out. Yeah, after that almost was, losing it. Yeah, but weirdly enough, by the way, they're favored in that game as a four seed. Yeah, uh, but Arizona, we'll start there. It was a battle. It was a physical game. There was a lot of emotions involved. There was a play in the third quarter where emotions boiled over. Yeah, number zero pushed Nikki. Nikki Cardano Hillary down. No calls were, no no technicals or whatever. It was a very physical game. You could tell that both teams really, really wanted it. Neither program has made the Final Four before, but IU's problem was in the fourth quarter, and they just kind of fell apart. They only scored nine points, and credit Arizona's defense. They really stepped it up. Mackenzie Holmes, who's IU's leading scorer, had zero in the final yeah. quarter. And Goulbay fouled out. Goulbay fouled out, and IU as a team made zero three pointers. Right, and that's not. That's what I was you can't you can't win games in women's college basketball, men's college basketball, in the NBA, shooting that bad from the outside. You and I called the Ohio State game, which was the last game they lost before yesterday. Uh, Michigan State in the tournament. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot the last. Okay, yeah. second to last loss, whatever. Yeah, but the not the Ohio State went on that huge run in the fourth quarter and. IU did not make three-pointers, right? and that came back. And like you said, they made none yesterday. IU has not had a three-point weapon all season on the women's side so and on the men's side too. But, hmm. um, yeah, it was sad. I, I hope – I mean, Allie Papperg is eligible to come back next year for what would be her seventh season, yeah. uh, which would be crazy because of the COVID eligibility. But they are not going to lose anyone. Nope. Um, but they'll lose Keanu Warden, who's a good bench piece. Most yeah, right. Unlikely. She's a senior. But then, yeah. So it's her and Patberg are the two that have the choice, pretty much. Right. Uh, and you talked about NCH. She's a badass. I'm. Uh, I'm so happy that she decided to transfer here from George oh, Mason. NCH, yes. Uh, yeah. We'll see what happens with Jalen Penn. She opted out. 
in the last couple weeks of the season. I, I believe you're eligible to come back if you opt out. Um, so that that's a three point weapon for IU that yeah. they did not have uh, the the last couple four, weeks of the season. Um, but for this team, just like big picture, I guess beating a number one seed in NC State, getting to the Elite Eight for the first time, getting to the Sweet Sixteen for the first time in program history, and then getting to the Elite Eight for the first time in program history. Getting people on campus invested in women's basketball, that was huge. Um, I, I I really – and Terry, Terry Morin is – I mean, if Tom Allen is the king of campus, Terry Morin is the clear queen of campus. She is – it's infectious how much she loves her players and how much she loves this community. And that's why Indiana is not a one-and-done team. Right. A lot of the players are coming back. You mentioned that they're all very talented, but the culture that Morin – and Pat Berg and Brenna Wise from last year and all the way back to Tyra Buss a couple of years ago, that it's created, it's a hardworking, put your nose down. We might not be the most athletic team, but we can play the hardest and do what we do well and win games that way. And realistically, they they played against a, the best, I don't want to say the best player in the NCAA, but the best active yeah. NCAA leading scorer in Ari McDonald who put up 33 Five for six from deep. She's incredible. She's nuts. She's really, really good. So, I mean, it's not a bad – like, Indiana players knew this. Mackenzie Holmes talked about it after. She's like, it stings. There's no doubt. But we left everything we could. We we did everything we could. We missed some shots. That happens in basketball. Mackenzie Holmes – I will drop two names. Mackenzie Holmes is an absolutely ridiculous weapon inside – She's only a sophomore. Old school. She's already one of the best players in the Big Ten. She's got a legitimate chance to win Big Ten Player of the Year in her future, maybe even National Player of the Year, because she can score as long as she has a competent point guard. And Grace Berger, no relation, is <laughs> stupid good. Her jump shot is one of the silkiest jump shots I've ever seen. She has an innate ability to move with the ball, and she's one of the best defenders on the team. So I, I am I am incredibly optimistic about the future of women's basketball. And I think it's right up there with IU football in terms of programs that are on a clear uh, upper – what am I looking for? Upward trend. Upward trend. Thank you. I think I think those two programs are the ones that are clearly trending up, and it's no surprise when you look at the two people leading those two programs. Yeah, I, I have nothing else to say. I'm, I was a very fun team to cover, uh, both with their performance on the court and their personalities off it. They like to have fun. They like to kind of screw around, but also very focused when it matters. Yeah, and I can say, like, as somebody who didn't extensively cover the team like Doug did or even, like, call some of the games like like Justin did, um, just as, like, a, a casual fan, just watching this team and being reminded why, like, why Indiana in such a tumultuous year for the men's team is considered a basketball school and why it matters so much here. You know, the, the fans here really support the women's team. Um, the, the, the community got behind them. It was cool, cool to see the support drum up as, as, the, as the run got bigger. But it, it like when, when you put on this this Hoosier team when they were playing in the middle of the week, it was just it was calming to watch them play basketball because you knew you were going to get get a hard nosed game. You knew you were going to get you know like some some good some good basketball. So it was, it was it was a pleasure to watch this women's team play this year and and just it, it was nice to have them remind everybody you know why Indiana's calling card really is basketball. Thank you, ladies. We will see you in the fall. Um, let's talk about the men's tournament. I can't remember. I I think we need to start at the Sweet Sixteen. I think that's where we the last time we talked was the round of thirty two. The different games on different days this year always screws me up. Yeah. Uh I well let's just let's just run. No, we did it. do I think we did sweet sixteen. We I think yeah. we had sweet sixteen we, matchups yes. and we made predictions. Yeah. Um so 
I think right. I'm, we're hung on a lot of my predictions. Yeah, <laughs> I I was the only one I was right. I mean, we're not going to. The Gonzaga game was a blow. Gonzaga is a, a wagon. I just, I cannot see them losing. Uh, does anyone have anything to add? They're just they're really good. I don't know USC. Yeah, you got to play the games. Got to play the games. Um, <laughs> USC Save drummed that, Oregon. Yeah, I, I I will say being at that game first of all, I don't understand. I I guess I just didn't watch any. Well, this is true. I didn't watch any Pac-12 basketball this year because I don't understand. Like, no team in the, that I saw play in the Big Ten this year, except for maybe Michigan or Illinois, could beat either of those two teams that played that night. Just the level of offense they were playing at, the speed they were playing at, the, the length and athleticism on defense. Um, I, I I didn't see a, a team like that in the Big Ten, just just top to bottom. Um, USC is really really good. The Mobley uh, brothers, Evan especially, is is, is unstoppable. Um, and and they're just they're fast, man. They have so much speed. That that Gonzaga matchup's gonna be fun, but the Zags are really big. USC, you talked about Evan Mobley. He was the fourth leading scorer in that game against Oregon, and they still won by fourteen against a team that's really good in Oregon. It felt like he wasn't there, and he was on triple double watch, yeah. dunking on people. It was insane. It, it was actually well. wild to watch. He's him not play. a high volume player, but he, when he gets the ball, he's very efficient. Oregon. I thought they were going to put up a little bit better of a fight. They kind of went down early in the first half, never really climbed back all the way. They're, I believe all five starters score in double digits. They only had two against USC. Oh, are they had all five in, against Iowa scoring double digits? Yeah, I think averaged as well wow. or something like that. I know they put up a crap ton of points and – they did not. Wait, do that I mean, as they much. they didn't miss against Iowa. Like they literally yeah, didn't. But neither miss. did Iowa for a little bit. It was kind of that was a wild game. Um. So our matchup is one six in the Elite Eight. USC Gonzaga. Uh, which one of you wants to pick USC? <laughs> That's funny. I'll <laughs> take USC plus ten. Okay. I'll lay you the points, Doug. I'll give. I. I. I mean, I just think Gonzaga is too good. I, I just think they're too. Oh, ten points is a lot of points. Yeah, it depends. Well, I, I mean, we, we're USC is going to need a massive game for Mobley. He's going to have to to defensively deal with Timmy on the inside, and he's going to have to to facilitate and, and and be a playmaker for them. And then they need their guards to step up and hit threes. Yeah, I mean, you can't. You have to have a scoring night when you play Gonzaga. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, you're, you're gonna best. Have, yeah, they have yeah. to put up. I mean, they're going to have to have a similar game they played against um, against Oregon. But you know, they put up 85 against Kansas. They put up 72 against Drake. That was a blowout. So they can score. It's it'll it'll be interesting to see if they can keep up with Gonzaga. Official number I see is eight and a half. I saw it at nine last night, so that means people are taking the points. Well, what do you? All right. Well, not what. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Justin? I'm going spreads don't matter. I'm taking Gonzaga. All right, I'll take Gonzaga, but USC. Plus if I was going to gamble on this game, I'd wait until the spread keeps coming to me because the public seems to like USC. But I think the Zags are going to win the game. All right. So Zags in the final four. Surprise, uh, surprise. Yeah, shocker. The I think my biggest surprise of the weekend was the Michigan Forest State game. That was not even close. I mean, I sat here last week and said one Big Ten team had to show up, and Michigan was that team. They were – I mean, it was wall-to-wall. They they I mean, it didn't even look like they missed Jordan Livers. It was, it was fantastic. Isaiah Livers. Isaiah Livers, excuse yeah. me. Good. Like Mark Jackson over here. <laughs> yeah, I am like Mark Jackson. Uh, but also, yeah, Michigan was very impressive. They're r- really playing good basketball right now. But at the same time, Florida State was not the same Florida State team. They well, were they very shots. Confused. I mean, they yeah. were. They didn't just miss shots. They got. They weren't taking good shots. Sloppy, a lot of them. Yeah. Were, were they not sloppy. the same Florida State team, or were they exactly the Florida State team we thought they you were? You have been saying just... for weeks that it depends on which team shows up. I just feel like they're yeah. mo- they're a team of multiple personalities and yeah, and just it's true. I, 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 when they throw out dud games, I just don't get surprised like, anymore. When they start 
going south, they play a lot of one-on-one ball, and it just makes it worse unless Scotty Barnes can put up eight quick ones, which is possible, but he was in foul trouble the whole game too. It's tough to overcome that. Um, so they will be matched up against Mick Cronin's squad. UCLA was very impressive against Alabama and Nate Oates. Best game of the tournament? One of. Yeah, I would say one of, blindly looking at it. I thought that was – I for me, that was the best game of the tournament. I had Alabama going to the Final Four, so I was a little bit disappointed. Me but too. I really think this UCLA team is – if they reseed them – and I we did this yesterday with uh, Nick Lancioni, but I had UCLA I think sixth out. Of, I had them over Houston, which looks bad now. Uh, then also over Arkansas. I think they're a very talented team. Johnny Juzang was out with foul trouble with the last three minutes of that game. Yeah, and they still outplayed Alabama, probably about even in the last three minutes, and then totally outplayed them in overtime. The overtime was a disaster for Alabama. Oh, UCLA started hot and didn't look back. You have anything know. to add, Keys? No, actually, as uh, like I said, I was going to the the USC oh, Oregon yeah, game, yeah. and one one lucky soul had to drive. So <laughs> I actually I was I was listening to the back end of this game through like oohs and ahs and like <laughs> that stinks. The threes and yeah, so I, I like I caught I know I caught some of it, but but uh, no, I didn't see the bulk end of that game, which was kind of disappointing. But you know, you take one for the team sometimes. I, as a guy that picked Michigan to lose in the Sweet Sixteen. I kind of want to pick against him again with against UCLA. What's the line for that one, Doug? Six and a half. I look. I've I watched. I and again, I will hop in the boat with you, Keys. I watched zero Pac-12 games this year. I said when we were watching Oregon State, I think against Oklahoma State, I said this is the first minute of Oregon State <laughs> basketball I have watched this season. Um, I Mick Cronin. I remember when he was at Cincinnati, and I remember being confused why he got the job at UCLA. But he is a fiery guy. He gets his dude motivated. It's not like they're not talented. Uh, and I don't know, maybe this is the game Michigan reverts back. So I will be the guy that takes UCLA. By the way, oh, so you guys didn't even see the end of it. Uh, Hep Cronin, I'm, yes. I'm, done, I'm done with him. Too much? Too much. It's kind of like when they uh, when they show Bill Murray at Cubs games. They overdo it. <laughs> uh, but I I do like UCLA plus six and a half. I do think it's going to be a very close game. But also at the same time, Michigan just blew – I don't know, but I, 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 I'm going to say UCLA. So at some point in these like, – at some point, the games start to make sense. Like I think we saw this with Houston and Oregon State where in that, you know, Oregon State didn't really come back to earth, but they, they ran into a Houston team that was just better than they were. Um, I think Michigan just a more talented team than UCLA is. Um, I think they're really well coached. I think they're playing really well. They're playing with confidence. Six and a half is an interesting number. I think if Michigan wins the game, it'll probably be more than that. I think if UCLA covers, they probably win. But I, I, like I said, some like the Big Ten was like the big we like we didn't we're not just idiots. Like we all watched basketball this year. Like Ken Palm said the Big Ten was the best conference like this year. Like somebody has to be right, and I just think Michigan keeps rolling. Okay, um, I think that's. Uh... Well, I guess there's only two games tonight. I think that one. Well, they're both really good. I'm not going to pick which. I mean, one's it's, be we're better. in the elite eight. Yeah, every game they have really to good. be good. Uh, we'll go back up to Baylor. Baylor, Arkansas was awesome. Arkansas was out of it, then they were in it, then they were out of it, and then they were back in it, and then they kind of <laughs> went out of it again. Uh, congratulations to Baylor and Scott Drew getting to their first Final Four in seven decades. Um, it feels like Scott Drew should have been at a Final Four in one of his 20 years before in Baylor, but. They finally broke through this year against a really good Arkansas team. 
J.D. Note fouling out with like 13 minutes left in the game Wild. did not help Arkansas at all. Wild. Um, and Baylor shot lights out, especially at the beginning of the game and towards the end of the game. I mean, Baylor's just too many guys. Yeah, that no, that's literally what it is. And like, you sound like a sports like junkie, but it's yeah. like, yeah, Baylor's got a lot of dudes, and they just <laughs> straight up do. Yeah, they got they got five guys shoot over forty percent from three. They can spread you out. They defend tirelessly. Um, they're athletic, and they play really well together. They they can go to a lineup where they have three or four point guards on the floor at once. Um, they shoot their free throws well. They're well coached. Um, they're, just, they're just a really, really solid, talented one seed. And like you said, it's a little surprising that this is Scott Drew's first Final Four. I think we're, we're inching our way to the ine- to the inevitable. Of Baylor-Gonzaga? Yeah, I, think, I so. think you're right. I really think so. And for the similarity between both those teams, I like six players at least on each team. There's a lot of likable guys, whether it's Jerry Butler, Davion Mitchell, uh the guy with the mullet. <laughs> Vital, like six like, guys in this team. Here's two of them in a mullet. <laughs> yeah. No, they're, they're a lot of fun to watch. And I don't know if you I guys agree. saw this. Um, I think it was Scott True that said this. But there's like, yeah, we called uh, Davion Mitchell off night because whenever he guards someone, they have an off night. That's, That's awesome. a great it's name. A fun culture to play in, I'm telling you. Um, so I, I guess we need to talk about the other game before we pick Baylor-Houston. So Houston-Oregon State, the tinkle machine was out of gas. For a while. Well, it, it was, and then it wasn't. And then, yeah, and then they were all the way in, in. hyperdrive. Yeah, I thought Kelvin Sampson was going to, like, melt on the floor. Um, I was really – I really am rooting against – I have no ill will towards Kelvin Sampson because I was not an Indiana fan in the 08 or whenever his infractions were. But the the way people talk about him who have been him. IU fans for 20, 30, 40 years is – insane like he's just, he was just a bad dude and this was back in 2008 too, yeah and it's 12 years later yeah, clearly like clearly ignored ncaa protocols but nonetheless he's going to his second final four uh houston's first since five slam Jamma. i thought jim nance was going to cry last night um <laughs> people forget he went to houston as a golfer um but you don't forget no i never forget not about jim nance i this was a great game too and it wasn't for a long time but then it became a great game Houston closed incredibly well. I thought they were going to melt away. Well, I mean, this game was a, they were up 17 at half, so they kind of did melt away, and then they realized again that they can just lock up. Um, putting Giroux on, on Ethan Thompson was a really smart move. I like that. And, and just Houston's defensive intensity. I, I keep uh, referencing Titus and Tate, but Mark Titus was talking about Houston this morning, and they, they legitimately have had the easiest road to the Final Four in in, in the history of the tournament. No, ever, yeah. And, in terms of seeding. in have terms not of seeding. faced a single-digit seed yet. And they haven't – the best team they played all year was Texas Tech. They split with Wichita State, and I think they played – those are the only three tournament teams yeah. they played all year. Um like they've they've beaten the teams that are in front of them. So it's yeah, no, you can't discredit. blame them. Like and there's and there's no discredit going right, on. But right. just like, like, are we going to be surprised? I I think the Houston Baylor line right now is five or, or huh. six. Um, I know where I'm going. I, yeah, I know. Well, I already went there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I I think Houston's really talented and it's been a fun year. But it seems like they're really happy to be where they are, and Baylor's kind of shooting higher. I also think Oregon State kind of got out toughed early on. They they lost the rebounding battle by twelve, and I think it was even more than that in the first half. They like Oregon State. If you're an underdog and you're the less talented team, like I know Houston's not that talented, but they're more talented than Oregon State. Yes. If you're the less talented team, you have to find some mental edge if you want to win the game. Yeah. You're not gonna have the talent, so you got to figure out some way to outplay, outthink your opponent. And I just think the physicality of the game did not allow Oregon State to do that. 
And even though they got close towards the end, they did not lead at all any point of this game. Um, and Houston, like you said, closed it out well. Yeah, to be the bigger team in the game and to get out-rebounded the way they did was not a recipe for success. Oh, their say. defense is, like, stupid good. Yeah. The way – I mean, we watched the Syracuse game. Um, yeah, that Houston's was, smothering. That they're, was they're, a, they're, yeah. the, the way they attach themselves to the hip of their man and just – they're just always there. It, it, it's, it's fun to watch. And they just completely – disregarded the zone so that was impressive <laughs> to watch too because the zone had shut people down so far shout out buddy Beheim. another another dream run for syracuse ending in the final or in the sweet 16 so we're all baylor yes minus five money line minus 10 minus 10 I mean, yeah baylor 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 is, big houston, houston's really good defensively baylor is also really good defensively baylor is elite offensively and houston is not okay i'm gonna go with you on that with baylor uh we got the two games tonight, and then I like the, the final four and championship will have been decided by the next times we are here. So uh, we'll have a recap and we'll talk about cool March Madness and say goodbye to Jim Nance for a few days until he flies to Augusta. Yeah, he won't be gone long. Um, let's do baseball quickly, then we'll do UFC and then segments. Uh, baseball, it's back. It's gonna hit the where it's gonna be in segments. I'm sure for all three of us, but. Baseball is back on Thursday. That is opening day. Uh, the Braves play the Phillies. Who do you guys play? The really, really good Pirates. Oh, yeah, they're I, great. I honestly don't even know who he opened up against. They call me a bad fan. Well, the I, Red Sox, the Braves just beat the Red Sox in spring training like an hour ago. And <laughs> the Braves the and the Red Sox have time. played 7 million times this spring. <laughs> um, uh, if you put a gun to my head, I probably would just guess the Braves. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess Doug, you wanted to do like predictions and stuff. Yeah, well, I got a couple over unders for some of the main teams that we can go through. Okay. Um, and we'll start with our three teams. So we'll start with the best of the three teams, and that's the no, the Braves. <laughs> uh, the Braves right now are ninety-one and a half over under wins on the season. Any thoughts from either of you? I'll go first. Is my team. Uh, so I don't. I think the the two seasons ago was the last time we played a hundred. 62 games. I think the Braves right. won 96 two years ago, if my memory serves, and I think they won 90 the year before that. Uh, I think the Braves are better than they were last year and two years ago, but I also think the NL East yeah. is better than it was last year and two years ago. So I think 91-92 is probably a, a really good number. The Braves own right now at least in the last couple of years, have owned the Mets and owned the Phillies. And this is the same Phillies team we've had for the last two years. I I expect those numbers not to change against the Phillies. The Nationals, you got to prove it to me on the field. I know you signed a bunch of guys, but a bunch of those guys are over the hill, or at least you know on the bottom side of the hill. Um, the Mets, again, I got to see it on the field, dude. Like, sick, you got Lindor. Cindergaard's out for a long time. DeGrom is amazing, but is he going to have a 105 ERA again? I don't know. I got to see it for those teams. So I think the Braves, I think the 91.5 is a perfect number for them. I will go over, but I think if it's over, it's going to be 92. I think it's a scary number for gamblers because I like them around like 90 to like 94 wins. I think 96 wins would be a, a dream season, especially with the you know, improvements you've noted and whether or not they, they've shown them on the field or not. It's a more talented division. Um, 91 and a half is like, 
that's an interesting. If if the if the if the Braves pitch, then you could see them in the mid nineties. If they and if they have a couple injuries in the pitching staff, you kind of see them in the in the like ninety eighty eight range. So, I'll, I would I would kind of I am would be I would stay away from theirs. Okay, I'm gonna go under. I think the analyst is too good. Okay. I think Juan Soto, by the way, MVP, not just because he's on my fantasy team. I think it's Acuna, not just because he's on my fantasy <laughs> team. Um, I will say this: the pitching, Mike Soroka is going to be back within the first month of baseball. He's he threw two innings today, uh, so that will be in no particular order: Charlie Morton, Mike Soroka, Ian Anderson, and Max Freed as your first four starters. And I would be hard pressed to find, maybe besides the Padres a better and the Dodgers I guess a better <laughs> starting rotation in professional baseball. So it's very good. They gotta stay healthy though. They do. Uh they certainly do. So we'll go to the next team. Yes, there are two of them actually and they're very <laughs> close to each other. Uh the Red Sox right now are number nineteenth of the league. They are seventy nine and a half. The Cubs are seventy nine. So we'll start with the White Sox or uh, Red Sox. Uh the Red Sox well uh, Preface. The Red Sox open up against Baltimore, um, so that's pretty nice. But um, God, I hope you win that game. <laughs> that's that is a it is it is a disrespectful number. I would say seventy nine and a half. I, I think this team's gonna hit. This team's gonna pitch. They're getting healthy and high on we trust. Just uh, I I already took. I get seventy nine and a half is a joke. That's disrespectful. I'm also gonna take the over. I think the rates take a big step back this year. Uh, I think the Yankees are still very good, but then you got the Orioles, and I don't think I'm not buying too much hype in the Blue Jays. Oh, I am. A couple. I'll give them <laughs> one or two years. Um, so I also am going to take the over, but I think your division is very good besides the Orioles. I think the Orioles are better than people think. I think it's a really good division. I just think the Red Sox are re- are more talented than people want to give them credit for, and we'll show people. I that. agree with that. That's the statement I agree with. I think the Yankees. I think the Red Sox are still the third. Maybe even the fourth best team in the division. Vegas has them but, fourth by a Listen, while. Toronto's got. You want to say prove it to me on the field? Like Toronto's no, a bunch true. of kids and and. Yeah, no. Like, Justin only says prove it like for broken the NLEs. goods. Like, <laughs> well, no, I said it for who's, the Padres who's, too. Who's Toronto's ace? Tell me. Uh, Toronto's Ryu. ace. Yeah, yeah I'm terrified Ryu. of Hujin Ryu. He's like, an Cy Young finalist last come on. year. What That's you great. We played 60 games. Yeah. Okay, so what? I okay, fine. The the prove it to me argument is fair, but I, I did say third or fourth. I still think they're gonna finish behind the. They will finish behind the Yankees. I think they probably will still finish behind the Rays. I know they lost Charlie Morton. I think the Red Sox are a lot closer to the Yankees than people are going to give them credit for. I, okay. I would, I would the say results they results are into business. We'll yeah. see. Oh it yes, is. we will. I do. That being said, over seventy nine and a half, we're all on a consensus about that. I think that's too low of a number. Mm. I think they're either at five hundred or above. So agreed. Cubs seventy nine. I think the Cubs are bad. Under. Oof. <laughs> not, not even that. The, they have some talent, but just like it doesn't seem like. There's a lot of good vibes going. I on read the South some side right Rizzo now. articles yesterday that yeah. made me I would like I would question my fandom. He's uh he's not being very respected. I would say yes, by that is correct. Office. He's just not getting the extension, which I don't think is the biggest deal in the world. Well, I mean, like, all right, so you have the problems with Rizzo. You have the problems with Bryant. There's the the whirlwind around uh, Javier Baez and if he can bounce back or not. You have some uh, some unknowns in the outfield. The pitching staff. I don't even want to get into it. That's it's a the disaster worst part by far. So my thing is the talent that was there three years ago, 80% of it's still there. Right. They're just three years older. They just got to figure out a way to bring it back. So I'm going to say over optimistic me. Yeah. I also think they like that's under 500. I think they could be 500. Here's optimistic. The division's Maybe. also bad. The division is bad. That is something that is they, helping. They you. had four playoff teams last year. That's It's a new year. Okay. 16, um, 16 I think the Cardinals are going to run away with that division. 
Um, I would agree. Uh, they're with Flaherty and uh, Dakota, and, and Arenado, then, and Arenado and Goldschmidt. The young, yeah, I mean, they're starting a fifty-year-old at catcher, but they don't. That's not really. Doesn't matter. Still deal. throws people out. Yeah. Um, the Cubs. Uh, the only thing I can do is compare it to my team. And if the oh, Braves, wow, that's not fair. <laughs> no, 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 not, not. Let's talent-wise. go position by position. No, no, no. If the Braves treated Freddie Freeman the way the Cubs are treating Rizzo right now, I don't know what I would do as a fan. Like, how can you justify that to your fans? This guy is clearly the emotional leader of the clubhouse and has been for years. And you're just like, yeah, we're not going to extend him. I also don't think it's as big of a deal as you're making it. He still wants to be a Cub, and he understands like there's a lot of finances. The Cubs still want them. Want him in the organization. It's There's just, not, it's never yeah. a good sign when, when the guy's like, I don't want to talk about a contract. I just want to focus on the season. That means that they can't be hearing a lot right. of good things that are and, making him right. feel confident. Again, all I can do is compare it to my team, but I can't remember a time where there was a guy of Rizzo's stature that was like, yeah, let's just put off contract negotiations because well, we're not the, on the same page. The the time that I can remember off the top of my head is with John Lester and the Red Sox absolutely lowballed him, disrespected him, made it sour unhappy, and then ended up having to trade him. And it was a shitty end of John Lester's time in, in Boston for a player who was and still is so loved. So yeah. you, just, yeah. you hate to see the way um, those kind of situations turn out. That being said, so it's I think the Cardinals run away. I think the Brewers are second. And then you got the Cubs and the Reds battling for third. The Reds, I have absolutely no idea what they're going to look like. I this wouldn't year. sleep. Don't 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 sleep on the Brewers this year. I think they're the second best team in the division, though. I think the Cardinals got, are the best. I think they push the Cardinals a little bit. Okay. I mean, I, everyone. Hey, look, we got we've played zero games. Yep. Any of us could be right. Uh, also, I do want to say something about you. You say that you can only relate it to your team, Allen Robinson. With the Bears, not getting extension. <laughs> it's yeah. just a Chicago thing, I guess. I yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe it is. Uh, no. I, all uh, I meant was that like that's hockey. the only thing you guys I'm capable of. hockey knowing. players, right? Chicago yeah, streets as hockey players. Right? Very well. Uh, and then, is there any other teams that you guys want me to? What read are, What are the Padres, the White Sox, and the Mets? Padres are absurdly high. Guess Padres. Well, what have you guys guessed? Four. Ninety-five and a half. Ninety-three and a half. What's the next one? White Sox. Ninety. I'm not sure if this is Eloy. No, this does not have Eloy's injury. This is March 1st, so take that for the great assault. Sorry. 96. Whoa. 90 and a half. Yeah, I'm all over this year. I'm not. I was <laughs> I was hot with the Braves, and then I got. Uh, uh, we'll do the pod. Did I? We do the Padres already. What I don't even want to hear the fucking Yankees no, number. I'll give you, no, I'll give you Padres. What's the What's the Padres? Or no, no, the Mets. Sorry, the Mets. Padres 93 and a half. Yeah. Mets. 90. Okay, that's uh, fair. That one article had him at 96, which was, I mean, that's a, I almost threw my phone on the Dakota? ground. Was that Dakota? It was whatever the, it was the first one I saw. It was like a month ago. Uh, and then I'll leave you guys with this. Dodgers, over, under, actually, guess. 99. I bet it's 96 and a half. It's 103 and a half. Oh Jesus, my God. God. But, like, their division got better, too. Like, whatever. <sighs> They're that good. Uh, I yeah, fine. They're that good. The Braves almost beat them last year. Let's just re- remember that. The Dodgers got better. The Braves got better. The Padres got better. If you want to say the Mets got better, the Mets got better. The NL got better. The Dodgers road did not get easier. You know, I hate this bullshit argument that they're just going to walk back to the World Series. It bothers the hell out of me. 162 games. People forget the Dodgers are a mental team. Yes, they are. They have not won a 162 game World Series. <laughs> um. So. I'm uh, look. Uh, that being said, my anger aside, yeah, I cannot wait. Same till opening day. I cannot wait. I'm trying to 
figure out if I'm going to be able to go to Chicago in a couple weeks when the Braves play the Cubs, but that would be fun. Oh, yeah, baby. Um, all right, baseball check. UFC. This is you guys. Uh, go. Want <laughs> <laughs> to start? Yeah, I mean, we'll start at the top of the card. I mean, we have the new scariest man on the planet, for sure, hands down, no question. Yeah. Francis Ngannou like, is easily MMA's Mike Tyson, whatever you want to call him. I, 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 I can say this for a fact. Going into the fight, like, I didn't think much had changed in, in between the first and the second fight. Yes, there's just a bunch of talk that Francis um, had improved greatly since since the first fight with Stipe, um, that his wrestling defense looked incredible, all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. But as you just explained with a bunch of baseball teams, prove it on the field, prove it in the cage for me. Um, are you actually going to be able to keep Stipe Miocic, who's this decorated wrestler, off of you? Well, a uh, couple minutes into the fight when <laughs> Ninganu stuffed Stipe's first takedown, and Miocic was kind of just a sitting duck for him in the middle of the octagon. Uh, yeah, a lot had changed since the first fight. Um, I was stunned. N- not not stunned that Francis is the champion, but just stunned in how he did it and how easy he made it look. And, and just, I, I like, Dana White made a joke and said if he was John Jones, he'd be moving down to 185 uh, after that fight. And I just, I, I would not want to fight that guy. I, I was more stunned at first when I saw the line was what it was. I think it was Ngannou, like, minus 140 by fight time. It was inching and inching in his corner, favored favored by more for yeah, Ngannou. I believe he closed around minus 170. Okay, so, yeah, I didn't even see that part. Um, because of that, I took Stipe. I, I thought it was a 50-50 fight. I really thought Ngannou got better. He learned from his mistakes. But I also thought Miocic would have adjusted a little bit more. And he, I didn't really see as much. And I guess credit to Ngannou for stopping that. Like you said, the takedown was huge, or the takedown defense, I should say. It was huge. Uh, and that really dictated that fight. And then Ngannou got some punches. He got a little wobbly towards the end with Miocic. So a very fun to fight, fun fight to watch and sets up a great potential heavyweight matchup. Yeah, and it, it is odd just kind of closing thoughts on, on, on Francis and, and Stipe because I know we're, we're in a little bit of a time crunch. But it, it – it kind of seemed like Stipe was like, okay, like I've seen um, Francis, whatever, he's throwing some punches. I don't really want to get hit, so I'm going to try and take him down. And in the in taking him down, he ended up in an awful position, just ate a bunch of shots. He had a big head kick in the first round. Um, and, and so if he had not sustained that much damage in the first round, I think when it comes to the second round and, and he's seeing those openings and he said um, after the fight that he was seeing Francis get tired, he just wasn't even able to take advantage of those because Francis hit him with so many shots, regardless of how cleanly they landed. When that guy touches you, you feel it. Um, so, yeah, it's just uh, really, really impressive performance by the new champ, Francis Ngannou. Yeah, I got nothing else to add. I'm excited for his fight against John Jones. Yeah. Um, moving down the card quickly, Vicente Luque defeated Tyron Woodley by submission. This fight was really impressive. I was impressed again by the way Woodley came out. Vicente Luque is a killer. Not a lot of people know his name. Um, but Tyron pushed the pace on him, pushed him up against the fence. Uh, I was impressed with Luque's um, clinch defense, his takedown defense, and then, you know, once he kind of squared Tyron up and and uh, Tyron realized he couldn't again kind of take him down, it, it was a fight was kind of over from there. Luque pieced him up on the feet and saw an opening uh, and choked him out. Woodley's done, right? You'd have to imagine. I thought this was kind of it, his last, you know, the former champ. This would be his one chance to kind of get his name back and get a little bit higher in the rankings. But after this loss, I mean. You look at the individual fights. You look at the results, sure, he loses every one. But the fights, when you watch them, he does not look like a competitive fighter for a good portion of them. 
Yeah, here's the thing, and, and and UFC's track record, regardless of if you're ex-champ or not, you use, lose four fights in a row unless you're putting right. on like tremendous performances, and they usually cut you. Right. Um. So it's sad to see a guy like Tyron Woodley, who was such a dominant champion, go out that way. I will say that I don't believe I believe he's prob most likely done in the UFC, but I don't think he's done fighting. Okay. I, I think he he's fighting the best guys in the world, um, elite top top competition. Right. And and even though he's getting beat up, like he's still like. The beginnings of, of this fight, you know, before he got caught with some punches, was competitive, and so there, I think if he wants to do it, he can he can still do it, but not in the UFC. I believe that was the last time we see T Wood. I would agree. Yeah, and then um, Sean O'Malley made his return just to close out uh, talking about UFC two two um two sixty. Yep. Uh, made his return against Thomas Almeida, and um, he he just looked good, man. He 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 dominated the fight. I uh, thought he had a walk off knockout in the first round. Um, but it didn't get it, didn't get it rewarded. Um, so just kind of stuck in there. Lasted two more rounds and put him away with punches. It's just uh, good for O'Malley to get back in the win column. You can kind of see him get his swagger back a little bit. Yeah, his last fight, what card was it? Do you remember? It was in the summer. It was in, I think it was a heavyweight, was it not? Was it Cormier versus? It may have been Cormier. I think it was Cormier um, versus Miocic. Miocic's three, or it also could have been... Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kamara Usman and Jorge Masvidal on okay. Flight Island. It also could have been on that card. Regardless, he he was pretty much one of the up and comers. Him, I guess Hamzat. Like there's a couple, but he was in the small list. He lost. He kind of got embarrassed in it. He got injured a little bit, and it just never really recovered. So I guess main takeaway: I didn't really watch that fight too much. I saw some highlights, but I'm just happy for him. Maybe he gets his mojo back, and I think he does a little bit. Yeah, he's a he's a he's an all confidence guy, and, yeah. and you can see he plays it, to the crowd too. Exactly, and, and um, you can see him, it, it, some of the swagger come back a little bit as the fight went on, and, and just uh, yeah, he just looks a little more focused. So good for Sean O'Malley. So that's me. Uh, <laughs> I just was on Twitter, and the Falcons released their new game. Matt Ryan. Uh, well, yeah, Matt Ryan was on the picture. Oh, um, we will – the Falcons' 17th game – I'm not sure if it will be the 17th game of the season, but the added game will be against Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that should be fun. I can hate on him just a little bit more. Uh, segments. We'll go good week, bad week, starting with you, Mr. Keezer. Whew. Good week for Francis Ngannou. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, you're going to see what – what the UFC does and, and, and how they can promote somebody as marketable as Francis Ngannou because this guy is going to the absolute moon. I promise you you're going to start seeing him everywhere, literally everywhere. Um, bad week, for like, like we just said, for Tyron Woodley. Doug and I just talked about it. Probably his last fight in the UFC. Like I said, he was a champion. Um, quick little anecdote and a little personal story. Uh, one time I remember Woodley fighting. Uh, was back on the Conor McGregor Eddie Alvarez card. I was actually in Bloomington for that for, for that fight card. Uh, I fell asleep before the co-main event and woke up with it still on on my phone. Was able to rewind and not see any spoilers and watch those last two fights. So to watch Tyron Woodley kind of kind of come up and and capture the title as I was like coming into college and through college and now to kind of see him, you know, kind of see his UFC career not fizzle out but kind of end in, in not the manner you really want any career to end in. Um, it's kind of sad. So uh, I have a lot of respect for Tyron Woodley and appreciation for what he's done. I'll go. Good week, Providence University. We talked <laughs> about why. But not just the basketball team. I think the whole university. And we we spoke on him about Indiana. But he's was – L. Durham transferred, obviously. 
he was like good friends with the basketball team, but some of the women's basketball players, some of the football players, he's a university guy. So I think that'll be a very, very big thing for Providence to have. And I'm excited to follow that journey for him. Bad week last night. Um, it was, I'll say a bad week for refs and co- in women's college basketball, refs and college Sheesh. basketball, I guess. If you missed it, Baylor and UConn were playing a blatant missed call. Two of them, probably. There's two, looked like two fouls on UConn in the final play where Baylor was down two. They shot it. No foul was called. And it's just tough because you want a game like that not to come down to controversy. Like It was such a well back-and-forth game. Like UConn was down 10. They went on a 17-0 run, and then Baylor battled back. and It was a very, very fun game to watch. There were a lot of eyes on it. And the refs blew it down the stretch. Baylor's player was attacked on that last shot. There's no way that wasn't a foul. It's a meme now, honestly. Yeah. There's two two hands on her elbows, and the foul was not called. Right. Tough. Is that so? Is that me now? Yeah. Um. Sorry. Good week. Uh. And we're gonna. I'm, all my stuff is stuff we already talked about, but the culture of IU athletics and uh, <laughs> basketball specifically. I'm so excited. I am so excited. Uh. I just think this could be a, this could be a real turning point for for if it sucks because the university athletically goes in the way that men's basketball goes and you know we could have 23 national championship teams on campus but if men's basketball sucks that's going to get all the publicity so I'm just, I just think this could be a real a real turning point for IU athletically as a whole um, bad week. This is the second week in a row I brought up Jeff Goodman. I muted him on Twitter yesterday. I cannot stand the guy. Uh, he's a writer for Stadium or something. Yep. But he tweeted his article was uh, when, with the Woodson hire. Jawan Howard is the outlier. Indiana's hiring of Mike Woodson is far more likely to fail rather than succeed if you just look at the data. His his tweet for Jawan being ha- uh, hi- uh, hired was, Jawan Howard just landed the Michigan job. Let's hope I'm wrong, but history is not on his side. His Article for the Archie job when Archie got hired, which I don't have in front of me, was something like, "This is a slam dunk hire for Indiana. There's no way this doesn't fail or succeed." So, like Jeff Goodman, I, I can't get in the him. bathroom. Get in the bathroom, yeah, Jeff. Yeah. Goodman. Coincidentally, he's a good friend with Archie Miller. Yeah. Well, oh, really? You don't say. Um, so yeah, the Jeff no Goodman, fun guys. Jeff Goodman, bad week, <laughs> bad bad guy. Uh, why I love sports? Baseball is back. Uh, I just watched. Mike Soroka, by the way, I was right. Two innings today. He got the save against the Red Sox, and he threw a changeup against somebody that made him look stupid. So Mike Soroka is all the way back. Yeah, I don't know who it was. I was trying to see the jersey, and it wasn't somebody I recognized. But um, I am all the way back on the Braves. If you know me, you know I will probably watch 150 of the 162 games that the Braves play this season. I cannot wait to sit down on Thursday and watch. I'll go. Uh, why I love sports, I could go the basic route and go baseball, but I'm going to be a little more creative than Justin here. Hero. Baylor assistant coach Alvin Brooks III will square off against his father, Houston assistant coach Alvin Brooks II, or junior, in Saturday's NCAA Final Four. It's so heartwarming. Well, father-son action. And I will swerve again and not be like our friend Justin. And I will <laughs> I will say I love sports this week is because it is pro day season. Yeah. And Ooh, we are yeah. just getting absolutely blown up with different um, pro day statistics and videos and, and, and 
talk and jargon and all that stuff and mock drafts are heating up and you know it's the off season but the nfl is still dominating headlines as usual so uh we're chugging right towards the april draft and uh i get giddy every year and i said we'd talk about free agency this week but i'm just flat out we're not going to talk about the nfl until college basketball is over there's just maybe not till the draft so much going i mean we'll talk about it during the draft there's just so much going yeah, on Take, keep keep on the lookout for another draft podcast yeah, yeah. i yeah. missed up i messed up what i couldn't even throw a mention for my bulls and make some trades Oh yeah, yeah. Talk your GM, man. Yeah, he looks good. But I, then, I can't say his name, but he's the man. Arthur is kind of showless. Yeah, he, uh, but the Bulls have lost four straight, so maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that. Bulls are back. <laughs> Make Go a bunch Bulls. of trade and lose a bunch. Uh, all right, that'll that'll do it for us today. Be sure to tune in next time for another sideline report. And follow us on Twitter at the underscore sideline pod. We'll see you guys next time. Out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me.